time again to turn up your earbuds for our podcast aptly named That's Where You're Wrong, a lighthearted discussion between two friends with their own opinions, which, by the way, are quite similar, but our pig-headedness won't allow for mutual agreement. In other words, Steve, that's where you're wrong. Well, Dave, always good to hear your voice, buddy, um, especially uh, during this time of COVID crisis. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, something that's just come up. It's quite recent, and it, it has been um, proposed by a group called the Clean 50, and they wrote a letter uh, to the government about the Clean Reset. What do you think about that, Dave? Well, certainly, uh, the Clean Reset is a wonderful idea. Uh, like most things, ideas can be easily uh, put forward, following through or getting those that uh, need to follow through to follow through can be something different. So that'll be an interesting few questions, I think, that we'll have for our guests today. Uh, you know, you see it in the United States. You saw the, the New Green Deal, I think they called it. Uh, Green New Deal. Green New Deal. Say, uh, a, I think a similar se- sentiment uh, as far as our future is concerned. And it's you know, uh, Mike McDonald, Canadian uh, comedian, I understand, did a little routine where he was talking about, uh, you know, uh, climate change, I believe. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing that, uh, you know, it, it'd be impossible or it's going to be very difficult to be able to do anything about it. And then uh, God said, in this case, boom, here's a virus and everything changed, <laughs> right? It's just like... Yeah. You know, you thought for one minute, nothing can be done. And if you took what is now COVID-19 and you replace it with climate crisis, uh, you know, it, it can be achieved. Will it? Mm-hmm. I hope that our guest today will be able to talk to us about that. Well, today on the program, um, we have someone who is a management consultant, author, educator, who focuses on helping improve the environmental, social, and financial performance and sustainability of organizations, products, and materials. His clients include Fortune and Global 500 firms across a diversity of industrial sectors from mining to energy, consumer goods, transportation, manufacturing, apparel, and retail. He helped develop environmental management standards for the International Organization for Standardization, better known as ISO, and he has been a member of the Canadian Standards Association Policy Board. In 2012, he was recognized as a member of Canada's Clean 50 for his contributions to clean capitalism. He is currently Professor of Sustainability and Industrial Design at Carleton University in Ottawa. Kevin Brady, welcome to That's Where You're Wrong. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Dave. Uh, very happy to be here. Welcome. Did you wash your just hands a, just before a, the show? I did. I did. <laughs> uh, and just just a quick uh, uh, correction there, Steve. I'm a, I'm an instructor. I teach a third year course in industrial I design and sustainability. Was much more much more honorable. Well, I like to be at <laughs> accuracy matters. Uh, you know, not on so this, this show. It true. doesn't. <laughs> not on this. show. <laughs> You've got the wrong show for accuracy. <laughs> okay, free for all then. <laughs> Kevin, why don't we start out with uh, just a, a, an obvious question. Can you give us the Coles notes on the 2020 clean uh, reset, please? Okay, uh, maybe i just start by describing who the clean 50 are. 
Sure. Um, yep. So uh, the Clean 50, it's a, a group of people that have been recognized for their contributions to sustainability and clean capitalism. Um, it's run by a gentleman called Gavin Pritchard, Pritchard uh, with uh, a company called Delta Management. They started this back in 2011. The first awards were 2012. Um, and I was in that first group of people to be recognized. Um, they recognize people in a whole bunch of different categories, whether it be academia, industry, uh, non-governmental organizations, uh, policymakers. Um, and uh, they're, they're trying to uh, put a spotlight on people who are trying to make a change uh, for the better and trying to drive us towards more sustainable. So quite an honor. Kevin. The alumni of the Clean 50 get together and um, they talk about issues and there was a desire uh, among the alumni to use their voice for change. So they've written open letters on climate change issues. And uh, in light of this COVID-19 crisis, decided to put together another letter. And this is where the clean reset has come from. Is there only what happens is there needs to be clean 60. In other words, do you, are you in it for life or do they add every year to the, the membership or how does that work? They do. They add 50 individuals, projects, and then they have uh, kind of an emerging leaders category. So there's 80 people, so, 80 people each year that are added to the group. And, and so no one drops off. You all stay within the group. That's correct. Great. Yeah. So the and, clean reset. Okay. So sorry, go ahead, yep, Steve. Yeah. No, that's what I wanted yep, you to get into. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, those of us have been working on sustainable development issues for decades. Um, and even those who have been only working the last few years often say uh, in light of the lack of progress that we really need a crisis to drive change uh, because of a whole bunch of factors, you know, incumbents uh, want to keep the system as it is. Uh, governments are very reluctant to change regulators within government uh, are often captured by the industries that they're regulating, whether it be oil and gas or agriculture uh, or others. And uh, so, you know, what's gonna shake the system up enough to actually get people to get over these barriers uh, that are in place, whether they be policy barriers or behavioral barriers or whatever it might be. So the COVID-19 crisis, uh, and Dave, you brilliantly uh, summarized uh, through Mike McDonald's example, you know, we'll... you hear that, Steve? Brilliantly. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you. Thank Kevin, you. Kevin, Kevin, don't, Kevin, don't start with yeah. him, man. You know, I got to recognize genius where, you know, come. Thank you. Oh, God. <laughs> so go ahead with your statement. Yeah. So, you know, the, the COVID crisis is, it's, it's like a warning and it's an opportunity. Um, you know, it's almost a blueprint. Well, you know, there's there's a very uh, difficult situation we've been in over the last few decades where governments have kind of lost their mojo and uh, they're not really stepping up to look out for all of society um, as well as the environment. Uh, and uh, there's a there's a university professor at McGill, uh, Henry Mintzberg School of Management there. And he wrote a book recently called Rebalancing Society. 
And he said, you know, what, what we've got right now is uh, uh, imbalance where industry has most of the power in decision-making and governments and civil society organizations have very little. And I think what this crisis has showed us is that government's really important, that leadership by yeah. government really matters. You know, the market isn't solving the COVID-19 problem. No. Uh, you know, governments no. have really stepped in. So I think that with the climate crisis is, is, a, is a prerequisite for us really addressing that problem. Um, and, you know, they've done a very poor job to date. Um, but, um, you know, I think that, that, that things can be different. And what this reset has sort of mapped out, it's, it's not so much new ideas. Um, you know, a lot of these ideas in this letter, that open letter that we sent to government leaders uh, are, are old ones or uh, ones that we've started to implement, but just not at the scale and scope to actually make a difference. So, you know, what we've tried to do here are what the, the, the members who wrote the letter, and I, I'm just a signatory to it, um, is, you know, give them a push. You know, here's, here's a group of people that have been working on this field for a long time, and here's some of the ideas that we think you really need to be pursuing in a more aggressive way. And a lot of it around uh, issues related to climate change, where it be energy efficiency or new energy technologies, um, green buildings, uh, all kinds of things that, that uh, you know, most people would sit around the table and say, is that a good idea or not? And most people would. It's just, uh, you know, we haven't embraced these ideas to the extent that we need to actually make change. Well, Kevin, I have, mm -hmm. I have a brilliant, another brilliant question. Um, and, you know, they come, oh, they, they come easily, so don't just bear with me. Oh, please. So, let, let's take the analogy of the difference between a tsunami yes. and a light snowfall that accumulates over two days uh, a foot of snow, let's say. So with a tsunami, the water comes in, it just wipes everything out all in one foul swoop. And with uh, a, a light snowfall uh, over a couple of day period, uh, it starts to accumulate. And much like COVID, which is the tsunami, and climate change, which is the snowfall. How do we get past the immediacy or the difference between the immediacy of a COVID crisis, where it's an immediate threat to our lives, and the slow-moving snowfall that is climate change? How do we, you know, we all, I think we, a lot of us understand where we want to go, but how do we convince everyone that that's, it's, it's at a crisis point where we need to go. Yeah, it's, that's a very good question. I, I, Thank you. <laughs> I, I think there's a few factors that are in play. Um, and and I'll, I'll flip your analogy a little bit. You know, when we look at climate uh, crises, we have had um, some heavy-duty warning shots, whether it be Hurricane Sandy, um, you know, tornadoes, wildfires in Australia, flooding, drought that's led to mass migrations uh, causing troubles in the Middle East. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, of, of things that have happened, but they're geographically uh, isolated from each other, right? Right. Uh, so if you talk to people that have been through any of that kind of stuff, um, I lived through a tornado hitting my house and destroying my barn. You know, we're, we've got 
very acute understanding that things need to change. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, there's all kinds of other people that uh, are not as aware. Their their consciousness isn't as high in terms of you know how serious the issue is um, and what the impacts are going to be. Um, it's not impacting their pocketbook. And not yet. Uh, some yes, some no. And and you know we. We've got a financial system where we prop things up to avoid the real costs, right? So we're not paying the real price for carbon intensive uh, fuels and products and that sort of thing. Uh, all the fuel prices have dropped dramatically recently for other reasons, but. Uh, well, it's unbelievable that we saw the price of oil go into the negative. People were, were you know, producers for a short period were paying people paying companies and storage facilities to take the oil off their hands because I guess they can't Mm -hmm. shut down production, the pumping of oil out of the earth fast enough to uh, allow for storage to increase, so to speak. And that's really one of the, my daughter who we had on one of our uh, recent podcasts made the, 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 the very simple point that, you know, with COVID, it's not as if things are going to, COVID's not going to change us in the way that, you know, carpooling's gone out the window. How do you stick four people in a car when you can social distance? You know, there's, it, there, there's so many different things that uh, we've been told in our area, I don't know, know about your area, guys, but we've been told in our area that recycling is gone for now. They're taking everything huh. to the landfill. You know, we, we huh. just started a recycling program and a half a year later, they're saying just everything that goes to the curb goes into the landfill. There's no more recycling for the time okay. being. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's almost as if we're, we're being stepped back one, uh, you know, two steps forward, one, one step back. But I sort of di- mm-hmm. I digress a little well, bit. There, there, and I, I want you. There is a, there is a uh, feeling among some people that the, uh, steps that we've been taking to date are kind of acting as a, as a bomb. Uh, you know, people feel good about recycling. They feel good about uh, carpooling, right. buying a hybrid. A bomb as in Correct, B-A-L-M. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's masking. Who told you to put the bomb on? <laughs> it's, it's kind of masking <laughs> the, the reality. I didn't tell you to put the bomb on. <laughs> That's my Jackie Shields. What's his name? Jackie uh, on Seinfeld. Who the hell you're talking about? Who told you to put the bomb on? I didn't tell you to put the bomb on. Go on. Sorry, Kevin. There are Seinfeld people listening that will understand yeah. that. Well, I think Seinfeld has solved everything if you watch it long enough. Uh, Cr- there you go. Kramer smoked too much. He started smoking club, been rolling cigars, and his face turned into leather. And he sued the tobacco companies, and he hired his lawyer to defend him, but he put a bomb on his face, which and it was like the O.J. Simpson trial all over again. But, I didn't tell you to put the bomb on. No one told me to put the bomb on. Who told me to put the bomb on? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The bomb. Oh, okay. my goodness. That was sideways. I, I'll uh, refrain from using that word in the Go, future. Go, Kev. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You'll have to spell it. Next so I, <laughs> That's what right. I was trying to say uh, before our digression was that, uh, you know, <laughs> things are things are things are being masked in a way from the real issues. Right. So the, the, the yeah. system of production and consumption that we've set up, the global supply chains, 
um, the shifting of capital to uh, areas around the world where labor is cheap and regulations are non-existent uh, in order to provide wealth to a smaller and smaller number of people. Um, it, it, it's not going to be fixed by us putting stuff in the green bin. Um, you know, it's a systematic failure and it requires systematic change. Um, and it requires leadership from all parts of society. Um, and governments really have to step up and look out for the collective interest. Um, and there's lots of great industry players out there. There's lots of good corporations that are willing to play along. But the system, in a sense, doesn't enable them to do that, particularly if they have shareholders, right? So, you know, yeah, this, yeah. this crisis that we're in right now as, as Dave pointed out, I mean, it, it's, it's throwing everything up in the air and into question. And that's, that's, a, that's an opportunity. It's, there's an incredible tragedy mm. here. And, you know, we don't, wanna, we don't want to uh, uh, not recognize that and the people that have been affected. But at the same time, I think we have to say, okay, how do we avoid this in the future? Um, so let, let's, let's maybe go through from top to bottom the, the letter itself. And, and one of the, the second uh, heading of the letter is putting health first. So maybe can you talk well, about that? Well, you know, yeah. it, it, it's um, at a broad level, that, that section of the letter, but it's essentially saying that, you know, if we have uh, cleaner air, cleaner water, uh, better agricultural systems that have less chemical inputs, um, less fertilizers, uh, uh, less uh, uh, carbon fuels uh, to run the system, less monoculture uh, farming, um, then, you know, we're, we're going to be healthier. Um, so these things are all intertwined. So the energy system, the agricultural system, uh, the way we produce food and the way we produce goods, uh, if we can adjust that so that we're making uh, whatever it is with less energy, less emissions, uh, cleaner energy, uh, less waste, uh, that's all going to be good for society and it's going to be good for public health. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, they talk they talk about also uh, major investments in the green municipal fund and the federal gas tax fund. Uh, a little bit. I'm not, I'm not uh, an expert on those uh, funds, but essentially the green municipal fund, it's been around for a number of years and it's a fund run by the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. And it provides funding to Canadian municipalities or who are doing projects that can demonstrate that they're reducing emissions, reducing waste, uh, provide, they even have kind of a social aspect to it in terms of uh, providing societal benefit. And the tax... And is it working? Is it working? Uh, you know, I, in a small... I know it works in our In a small scale, yes. Yes, it is. Because those projects are all good. It's okay. just we need more of it, right? Okay. And the tax fund is it's a it's a right. funding mechanism, the gas tax. So, you know, the idea here being, you know, we need to put a price on pollution. So, you know, let's not right. tax labor and things like that. Let's tax pollution. So, mm -hmm. if we tax the gas mm -hmm. that's causing the pollution, then use those funds to improve and reduce our reliance on it, uh, on, on carbon fuels, that's a good thing. Now, of course, there's, there's always winners and losers, yeah. right? 
Um, so that's yeah. where I think we get in trouble in Canada a lot. And the sticking point is, you know, what about all the people and all the revenue that's associated with oil and gas production in this country? Um, and we have mm-hmm. to figure out, we have to have a better answer for that transition. Um, you know, well, and so that that's a perfect segue into the, into the next paragraph in the letter talking about jobs for lasting prosperity, yeah. right? And and they they, they have a great little uh, not a quote, but they they have an analogy about Wayne Gretzky, the winning strategy of skating to where the puck is going. Uh, don't do that. But you, you, sorry, yes, you do that. Uh, so we have to skate to where the economy is. Yeah, going, and right? and you know, if you ask most informed people. Uh, whether they and I've worked a lot in oil and gas and, and mining and resource sectors as well as other sectors. If you ask most informed people in those sectors and say, "Do you think we're going to a, a low carbon future?" Almost every one of them will say yes. I mean, I do a, a, a and when we do strategy sessions, I do a vision exercise where I take people out into 2050 <clears throat> and I ask them to imagine what the future is going to look like. And you know, it almost every person comes back with, you know, a a low carbon future or less oil and gas. So if we know that's where we're going, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, let's not lock in billions of dollars of capital into pipelines. You know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, It makes a lot of sense for the individuals whose jobs are, are in that industry. Um, but uh, in their heart of hearts, I think if you talk to them, they would say, well, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe I'd like to do something different. Uh, I don't know. Right. Kevin, if you think back to uh, the CFC, I think it was crisis and uh, then the Montreal Accord. I protocol. Called, where they all protocol, they all came together to help uh, ban CFCs worldwide because of mostly a, uh, generalizing here i think but a large ozone hole in the atmosphere over the that's antarctic. exactly right and uh and subsequently right now over the ant over the arctic i believe where they have an even larger hole but uh then you fast forward to the paris accord and then we'll even fast forward to you got the bell ready steve uh oh wait 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 <clears throat> Okay, go. You fast forward to the uh, climate denier in chief down <laughs> in the U.S., who has, you know, basically uh, thrown that whole, or at least in their eyes, that whole accord into disarray. Um, you know, the so politics obviously plays a big part, and the, the point of my question is: is you know, we've got uh, four or five uh, political stripes in this country. If you, uh, you know, broadly speaking, of conservatives, liberals, Greens, NDP, who do you think in Canada would be most likely to adopt this agenda that you're talking about? Well, I like to think that maybe not. A, sorry, maybe not adopt, but who would who would follow it through and have the ability, the political ability to follow it Yeah, that's, it that's a tough question. I mean, given the state of our politics today and the way the system operates where it's all about getting the votes and keep staying in power. Uh, if you look at their platforms, um, you know, the Green Party platform, I think, is most akin to this. Uh, it's the most balanced platform when it comes to talking about environmental and economic and social uh, policies that we need to be putting in place. 
So uh, the question is, you know, will they ever have power? And, and that's that's uh, mm-hmm. a prediction that I can't make. Well, but they have, pow- I, you know, I think if you, they have power in other parts yeah, of the world. Yeah, they do. Um, and you know, maybe this this will uh, the situation will will change a lot of people's opinions and they're really willing to try new approaches. But I think there's elements of uh, uh, certainly not on the conservative side when it comes to a lot of the green energy component. Yeah. Kev, Kev, can you just, because I lost the middle, you said elements of, and then I lost you. Just start that. You think I think there's elements, elements of, of the, uh, what we're suggesting in this letter um, in terms of the policy direction and, and programs and uh, actions that need to be taken in all of the platforms of the different political parties. Um, you know, the question is, how serious are they? And, uh, you know, I think that it's, and we've seen this many, many times, people will say things when they're trying to get elected and then do something completely different. Uh, where there is a big divergence is with, I think, the conservative parties. Uh, focus on oil and gas and not really willing to be uh, entertaining yeah. the transition. And, you know, the, I think the thing that the politicians have to understand is this is, is an economic opportunity, right? Um, you know, the, the, the uh, gentleman from BlackRock Investments that's quoted in our letter, you know, talk in one of the largest uh, capital asset firms in the world, saying, you know, we need to be shifting now uh, and reallocating capital to these uh, solution areas. And there is trillions of dollars uh, mm-hmm. in that transition. So the letter talks about it. And quoting from the letter, it says, fortunately, the clean economy offers us a $26 trillion business opportunity and millions of jobs globally in the next decade. Yeah. So that, um, you know, it, it's coming from uh, BlackRock, one of the largest uh, capital asset firms in the world. I think the largest, Larry Fink is the CEO of that. Uh, and they're, like many, many people, uh, are analyzing where uh, capital should be invested and what kind of return that they can get on that investment. And, you know, they look at things like the circular economy, this concept that, you know, we, we've got to shift off from a take, make, waste, linear economy uh, to a circular economy where waste becomes a resource and we Mm -hmm. reuse, remanufacture, recover uh, those resources and put them back into productive use. And that sector alone is uh, estimated, and these are big numbers and they're estimates and they're, you know, you got to take them with a bit of a grain of salt, but uh, McKinsey and uh, McKinsey and company did an analysis for a group called the Ellen MacArthur Foundation that's uh, promoting this circular economy concept. And they said there's trillions of dollars in just dealing with the waste, right? Uh, there's, yeah, there's, no kidding. There's, there's all kinds of money in the transition as well. So if you think about uh, rebuilding energy systems, uh, so they're less carbon intensive. If you think about retrofitting buildings, so they're more energy efficient. If you think about adjusting transportation systems uh, to move people in, in a more efficient ways uh, with less fossil fuels, uh, that's all economic activity. Um, and it, it could be very, very large. Um, and 
that's that's where these estimates are, are coming from. And you know, I I, I can't believe otherwise. <laughs> you know, it's just it's pretty logical to think that that's going to cause a lot of economic activity. And there are estimates, I believe, uh, right now that the green jobs, the green economy jobs related to primarily energy efficiency and solar and wind, uh, these sorts of things are actually greater than the number of resource jobs in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't well, know the, thing. I don't know the exact accuracy of that, but, uh, and if you think about that, that's with all of these, deniers out there that are saying we shouldn't be doing it. It's with all of the regulatory barriers that are in place. It's with, um, you know, the, the investments in lobbying that the incumbent system is putting to stop change. So imagine if we promoted it. What, what, what is the next fuel? What is the, what is going to replace carbon? Uh, well, (laughs) Another challenging question. So uh, we have to be careful about this because whatever you replace oil with, if you consume it on the same scale as we do oil today, you're going to have problems somewhere in the system, right? So it's more of a consumption thing. Yes, that's my view. And it's a view of a lot of people that we, you know, the, the best way uh, to consume fuel is not to consume it at all, right? right. Um, so we need to avoid and reduce consumption. Um, and and there's, that's where the whole efficiency game comes into play, and there's lots of opportunities for that. Um, so yeah. I, I think, you know... So is it using cleaner... <clears throat> is it using cleaner carbon in a, uh, in a, a way, or is it switching to uh, an entirely new hydrogen or electric power. Dave, 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 Steve, Dave, that's where you're wrong, Dave. You, you, you missed the point, Dave. It's has to do with consumption. Okay. So it doesn't matter what the fuel is. What matters is don't consume as much of any fuel, correct? Kevin? Well, yes and no, Steve. Yes and no. Oh, uh, oh, damn it. I thought I, I, oh, thought I had him. I thought I had him. Uh, so, yes, we need to reduce. Thanks, Kevin. You'll get the check in the mail. <laughs> but we, but we, still need, we still need energy, right? Um, right. And, and it's a question, okay, what's the best energy is the sun. Right. It's free. You know, okay. I, I have a house, yep. as, as yep. you know, Steve, you've been up here. I have a house up in the Gatineau Hills and, you know, we have a nice. south south facing house with the proper overhang. And in the wintertime, it could be minus 20 outside and the living room is nice and toasty with no heat on in the house at all. Passive solar. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, just a simple question there. Why don't all houses face south? Yeah, well, well, I'll uh, tell you, Kevin. I I don't know if you know where I live. I live in, right on the Bay of Fundy, and oh, yeah. right at my right at my door doorstep, just down the street, are the world's highest tides, and well, the amount yeah. of water that that comes in and out of the Bay of Fundy on a daily basis is equal to the amount of water that runs in every freshwater river in the world in a twenty four hour period. It's massive, yeah. and uh, if I was a poly- if I could wave my magic wand and 
turn New Brunswick's economy into a tidal power economy. Our universities do the research, our industry builds the equipment, and our government helps fund and uh, and coordinate. Uh, you know, we could go. It would be unbelievable for our economy. Unbelievable. But they're already. But they're already doing. They're it. They doing it in very very small trouble, right? small ways. Yeah. But I mean about transforming an economy entirely. Uh, which I think Kevin is talking about, to uh, to embrace new energy sources and so on. Yeah. Does tidal power right. rate anywhere in that new new energy along with the sun? Yeah, the sun, geothermal, wind, uh, tidal. These are all uh, sources of energy that we need to figure out how to harness. It's damn easy to dig oil out of the ground relatively and burn it. For fuel compared to figuring out how to uh, uh, translate this free energy that's uh, out there as well, mm-hmm. other free energy into, uh, you know, heating a house or fueling a vehicle. Well, so- here's, here, here's an interesting thing. Here's an interesting thing in that we come back to the fact of what does a crisis do, right? So, so it's too bad that the climate crisis isn't a tsunami because look at the attention that has been paid to finding out a cure for COVID, oh, yeah. right? The, it ramped up in a month. Like yeah. Every friggin' scientist in the world is trying to figure it out. So why isn't every scientist and every techno company and every research company trying to figure out a way to harness all these energy sources that you've just mentioned, Kevin, right? Because it's not a tsunami. There isn't well, a crisis. Even though there, there is, is a crisis, there, there don't isn't. There, it could be put off till tomorrow. Your health cannot be put off till tomorrow is the issue yeah well tomorrow's coming quickly yeah and and there are there are hundreds of uh well hundreds of thousands of people that are working on solutions to climate change already um the missing link i think is uh a few things i think the science has been undermined through you know public relations and misinformation uh campaigns by the incumbent industries I think Steve, just d- ding the yeah. bell a couple of times there, just for yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, Thank you. Government leadership is is obviously not there. Um, I think you know we're what COVID has exposed for us is some of the real vulnerabilities here. That the global supply chains are are really vulnerable um, in the system, and uh, that's that's. Uh, uh, cutting off and could cut off people's supply of food. Um, and when we start to think about what we critically need, clean air and food, uh, housing, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, uh, you know, we have to, we can't rely on this system uh, much in the future. But why, why, yeah. why is it not being, uh, we, have a, we have an international governmental panel on climate change, Uh, We have international frameworks. Dave alluded to the Paris Accord. Um, uh, We have uh, all of the scientists in the major countries around the world, uh, 97% of them agreeing uh, that uh, we have a serious issue that's undermanning. If you read the scientific assessment reports from the UN, um, uh, from the IPCC, you know, it uses words like the future of the planet is in jeopardy. You know, that the lightest one was, you know, we have maybe 12 years to not even stop this 
from happening. Yeah. But just yeah. to turn it in the right direction so it's not as bad as we're, our models are predicting. Um, and yet, yeah. actually... On that happy yeah. note, how do you get up in the morning? <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. What do but, you draw? What, well, listen. Yeah, what do you drive? I have a Prius. Oh, oh fantastic. There you go. Yeah. Now, Dave, <laughs> yeah. I, I, my wife has horses, so we also have a truck. Yes. But that, you know, that truck sat in the laneway for the last month and we never use it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but it is, it is, you know, your point about how, how to get up in the morning. And this is the thing about what just happened. I think it's given me hope. Uh, because I was, I'd run out of hope to tell you the truth, working on this for 30 mm-hmm. years, that things well, can change. Yeah. What, what this has shown us is that governments can bounce back. Nature can bounce back. You know, we're seeing like animals coming out. We're all seeing over the, the place. Himalayas. Yeah, we're seeing the Himalayas. Himalayas. You're seeing the air in LA yeah. and Beijing, uh, you know, yeah. which is a huge public health benefit. Uh, you know, Kevin, yeah. Kevin, do you think it is not as much going to be a transition to um, to other fuels that don't pollute the world like carbon does and all the associated problems with it, is it going to become, is it going to come down to human ingenuity to remove the carbon dioxide and those pollutants from the air using technology? Do you think that that is where we're going to head or is it going to be a complete switch to something that is not as a, a, a big a polluter as uh, as carbon is, I, you know, I think we're in a solutions phase, and it's all ideas on deck, right? Everybody, you know, they're all mm-hmm. all worth pursuing. Although I think we can prioritize uh, to where the best return on investment will come from. Um, your your best guess is to. Uh, is it carbon sequestration? Is it, uh, or is it these these? Uh, I hate to call them machines, but they they pull the CO two out of the air. And yes. I was reading something about them a while back. Uh, is there? Do you have? What's the, where's the best money on? Where, where I, you I, money on? I think the best money is on what we were talking about earlier: is the transition to low carbon energy sources. So wind, solar, mm-hmm. geothermal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and do that in a, uh, um, a title and do that on a massive scale. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that's where the, uh, the letter basically is leading us. And so, you know, I, I think this has been a fabulous discussion today, Kevin. Uh, thank you so much for being on the program. And Dave always has a, a question for our guests at the end of okay. our show. That's right, right Kevin, uh, Kevin, Steve, uh, Kevin, uh, We'd like to know if you have a song or a song lyric that might, uh, you know, it can be about the environment. It can be about the, your current COVID situation. Uh, do you have something that is, is leading you through these d- dangerous and, uh, and somewhat dark times? And don't use anything from Earth, Wind, and Fire, okay? <laughs> so, it's... <laughs> Is there a song? And I hope you haven't chosen something from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, <laughs> can you give a song or a song lyric that we might be able to extra the show with? I, I, I this may sound, uh, it may sound uh, depressing, <laughs> but I, I'm going to say <laughs> REM, the end of the world as we know it. Uh, now, a couple end of the world. A couple of reasons for that. Uh, one is that that song came out in 1987. 
1987, I was on a canoe trip with a bunch of uh, fellow students from um, the University of Victoria uh, in my biology program there. And they were the most depressing bunch of people I've ever hung around with. Uh, because you know, <laughs> their jobs in the summer were going out and counting things that were disappearing. And that, that to me, pointed me in a different direction with my career, where I said, well, no, 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 I don't want to do this. I want to go look for solutions. Right? So, so that's one right. thing. The other thing is, the end of the world as we know it doesn't mean the world's ending. It's, it's the end of the world as we know it, and we need to change. Right. Right? Right. So you, you, yeah. you can't yeah. interpret no, good, that as a hopefulness. All right. No, that's a great, great, great choice, Kev. So thanks again uh, for joining us today, Kev. It was wonderful. Thank and you Dave. very much, Kevin. And uh, I, I applaud you for your care of our environment and your passion for uh, pushing agendas and trying to push agendas forward that will help us uh, help us down a further path of, of renewal and uh, so that the end of the world as we know it uh, will be the end of the world as we know it now and a new world will emerge. And I just want to remind you, Kevin, to wash your hands, wash your whatevers, and breathe carefully. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Steve. Hey, just one last plug. People should visit the Clean 50 website uh, and... Um, you know, look at the letter and send it to their uh, decision makers, whether they be industry players, government, civil society organizations. Right on. Perfect. All right, Kev. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye.